verse 8. And it came to pass at midnight, or the customs of the culture, let me say it that way. Uh, verse 8, and it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid, and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, insomuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee, and hold it. When she held it, he measured six measures of barley, and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. Let's ask the Lord to meet with us. Lord, we love you tonight, and we pray that you would help us as we look at your word, illumine our minds and hearts, and ask, Lord, that you would do what only you can do, and that's work in us. Lord, change us. Make us more like yourself. I pray you'd be glorified in our minutes together here as we look at your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, I want you to see, as I look at this story, obedience requires confidence. Obedience requires confidence. She didn't make her decision based on pure emotions. And we got to remember here, Ruth is following Naomi. Naomi knows the customs. Naomi knows the culture. Naomi knows the truth of the word of God found in Deuteronomy chapter number 25. She knows what the Bible says, what the word of God says concerning Ruth and and a widow when it comes to a widow seeking to be married, seeking to have someone to take care of her. She understands, Naomi understands all of this. Ruth, obviously, being from Moab, not having grown up in the culture, not having the depth of knowledge that Naomi would have concerning the word of God, Ruth must put her confidence in Naomi and her confidence in the Lord. You know, sometimes when we make decisions, we have to make decisions to obey when we don't know how it's all going to play out. But we obey, why? Because we are confident in what the Word of God has to say. Have you ever supervised people? How many of you have ever supervised? I guess every mom has supervised kids. And this is probably, actually it's probably illustrated better in the home than it would be the illustration I was going to use. I was an operations manager for a number of years. 
and there were instructions that I would give people. It is rare when you give instructions that people say, okay, and just do what they're told. And uh, when you think about young people in a home and you give an instruction, uh, often young people want to know why. We shouldn't have to know why in order for us to obey. Have you ever tried to instruct somebody and they gave you a reason why you needed to not do that thing? Well, why are we doing this? Uh, We shouldn't be doing this now. Or you try to instruct somebody and that somebody has a better idea. They want to change the plan. So you say to them, hey, we're going to go to the store and we're going to do this and that. And they say, no, 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 no. I have a better idea. Well, wait a minute. Uh, Unless you're asked, right, (laughs) sometimes you ask and you say, how do you think we should tackle this project? But sometimes you will say, hey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And the people that you're instructing to do X, Y, and Z will say, "Well, well, I have a question. Wouldn't it make more sense to do Z and then Y and then X? (laughs) We find illustrations of this in the Word of God. Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter number 5. The Gospel of Luke in chapter number 5. Now, I'm thankful in both of these illustrations that both of these people ended up making the faith decision to obey. In Luke chapter number 5, we see Jesus here, and he's here uh, uh, with uh, the disciples. He's here with Peter and some. And the Bible says in verse 1 of Luke 5, The people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. In verse 2, saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. Now Jesus is here talking to the multitudes, and he's preaching, and the crowds are pressing in, and he sees these boats, and he gets into this boat, and the, the fisherman, Simon, was washing his nets. And he gets into the boat and he says, hey, uh, can you push me out a little bit? So maybe he, uh, I don't know, maybe the crowd was just too much and he needed to see the bigness. I don't know why he went out there. Maybe a better opportunity to preach. And uh, so there he is on the boat and he's talking to the people. And then he says this to Simon. Simon's washing his net. And he sat down, verse 3, the latter part of verse 3, and taught the people out of the ship. When he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draw. And Simon said, Yes, I'm going to do this. No, no, no. He does it, but he does it first. He uh, he says this. Master, verse 5, We have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. And then he says, Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. Now, Master, let me give you some more information. You do know that we're washing our nets here. We're cleaning up from having been out fishing all night. And uh, so the the fish aren't biting today. Then, thankfully, he says, but at your word, we'll obey. And he lets down the net, and you know the story. They catch a lot of fish, and Peter sees God. He sees Jesus for who he is, and he says, Those words depart from me in verse 8, for I am a sinful man. Look at John chapter 11. Another story we read in the word of God that we're familiar with. John chapter number 11. And um, again, when we think concerning uh, sometimes obedience, 
uh, sometimes our obedience uh, can be with questions, right? In John chapter 11, Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. And the Bible says in verse number 39 of John 11, Jesus says, take ye away the stone. Get this stone and move it. And Martha says, yes, sir. No, Martha says, well, hold on just a second, Lord. Um, the sister of him that was, Martha's sister of him was dead, saith, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Now, it seems to me, women, it's funny how Martha said this. You don't see any guys that are saying, uh, he's going to smell. It seems to me like women have more of a nose for bad smells uh, than men do, right? The guys were probably just sitting around going, ah, it's okay, who cares, not going to be that big of a deal. Uh, but Martha's concerned, and she has to tell Jesus, now look, you're telling us to move this stone, but this guy's going to smell really bad. Maybe she had a sensitive nose. Maybe she had allergies. You know, she was allergic to the smells of dead bodies. I think we'd all be allergic to the smells of dead bodies. But she what does what? She communicates to him, and then, of course, he says, move the stone, and they see his power. He is a, re- he is a, a resurrection and the life. If Martha had said, no, we are not moving the stone. It's staying here, and nobody's moving it. Martha would have never seen the glory of God. She would have never seen that. If Peter had said, look, pal, let me tell you something. I'm tired. I've been out here all night. I just washed my nets, and you're telling me to get my nets and put them back in there? I'm not doing that. Peter would have never seen the miraculous power of Jesus there. But they had to do what? They had to obey. They had to trust the word of God over what they thought. And when we go back to our story here, we look at Ruth. Obedience required confidence in what God would do and confidence in the word that was coming to Ruth through Naomi. Humanly, this was a little bit outside of her box, I'm sure, being from Moab. Now let's go back to Ruth, and I want to give you a second thought as I look at this matter of obedience. I want us to see, secondly, that obedience requires commitment. Obedience requires commitment. I alluded to this already. She was from Moab. So the procedure here was probably a little bit different from the culture that she grew up in. She had to come out of her comfort zone. It's interesting. Ruth made a decision. Go back one, two chapters to chapter 1. In verse 16, Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following thee, for whither thou goest, I will go. And whither thou and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. She made a decision. Her decision was a decision of commitment to God, and her obedience flowed from her commitment. Obedience requires commitment. By the way, Ruth had no guarantee how Boaz would respond. 
Ruth had no guarantee what would happen with the nearer kinsmen than Boaz, and he said, just chill until I take care of this matter, and Naomi assures her of that. She had no guarantee, but her commitment is what helped when it comes to this matter of obedience. Do you know, and we know this, you obey the one that you love the most. Why do we disobey God? Why do we make decisions to go against what we know to be right? Because we love ourselves at times more than we love God. Jesus said to the disciples, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You see, if you're committed, if, if, if he is first place in our life, our commitment to him will result in obedience. And we struggle sometimes in our obedience because we vacillate between who we love the most. Is it me or is it him? Um, often, when you ask for a person's signature, we say to them, uh, give me your John Hancock. This is because of the 56 signatures on the Declaration of Independence, one stands out above the rest. That signature happens to belong to John Hancock. He was the first to sign the Declaration, and he signed it in large and legible script so that the King of England could read his name without using glasses. Mr. Maybe he should have gone outside, and the daylight would have helped the King of England. I don't know. Mr. Hancock wanted to be very clear where his allegiance lay. His commitment to his country was so clear that when King George III offered amnesty to all who would cease fighting, John Hancock was among the select few who were left out of the offer because he knew his allegiance. We think about this. How committed are we to doing what is right? Obedience comes from commitment and love to the Lord. Uh, someone asked a preacher, a Christian woman asked a minister, will you tell me in a word what consecration is? What is your idea? Holding out a blank sheet of paper, the pastor replied, it is to sign your name at the bottom of this blank sheet and let God fill it in as he will. Ruth was committed to God. Now, obviously, she wanted this husband too she liked Boaz too we got to obviously not not miss out on the obvious but some of these things she's being asked to do are a little kind of outside of the box and yet her love for the Lord her commitment um, um, proves uh, true there so number one obedience requires confidence number two obedience requires commitment let me give you number three and uh, and we'll be finished I want you to see thirdly obedience requires carefulness Obedience requires carefulness. I remember being in college, Bob Jones Sr. used to say it's never right to do wrong in order to do right. And you know, sometimes in doing right, we can forget that what I do and how I do it are both important. Sometimes in doing right, you can bulldoze over people. You can say, hey, uh, I'm just, this is the right thing to do, and I'm just going to do it. And we do the right thing sometimes in the wrong way. When we look at this story, both Boaz and Ruth 
Ruth had a, 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 a tremendous, impeccable testimony. As a matter of fact, you see this in verse 11. All the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. When we see her coming, in verse 7, we see her coming. She's patient. She comes softly. In verse 9, she refers to herself as thine handmaid, as she says that to Boaz. We think concerning her desire to be careful. In verse number 14, she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. He said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Why? Because they were trying to be careful. Did they do anything wrong? No. But they were trying to be careful in their obedience, in in doing what was right. I think concerning the story, as a matter of fact, why don't you turn to 2 Samuel 6, and I will reference another story, I think concerning the story of Joseph. Joseph was espoused to Mary in Matthew 1, and uh, the Bible says he found out that she was with child, and he wanted to do what? He wanted to put her away privily, quietly. He didn't want to blab it all across the world. He had the right to say, hey, we're ending this here relationship. And he said, hey, I want to do this in the right way. It is important for us to do right in the right way. Now, we look at this story here in 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's a story that you're familiar with. And uh, as we look at being careful when it comes to this matter of obedience, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, the Bible says in verse 1, Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, that dwelleth between the cherubims. Now, you remember that the Philistines stole the ark of the covenant, and while it was in their territory, it was a disaster for them. The judgment of God came upon them. Where was the Ark of Covenant to be? It was to be with God's people. And David sends his men and says, we're going to take the Ark and we're going to bring it back home is what we're going to do. And the Bible says in verse 3, And they set the Ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. So they put it on a cart. And you know the story. Uh, they bring it out, verse 5, David and the house of Israel played before the Lord on instruments. They're excited about this because they got the cart. And the Bible says in verse 6, And when they came to Nathan's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased. Because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, he called the name of the place Pera Uzzah unto this day. David's upset. What's the problem here in this chapter? What's the problem is we need to get the cart back to Jerusalem, back to our hometown here. But they moved the cart the wrong way. The Philistines, the ark, they put the ark on a cart. God had determined that they were to carry it. They were to carry it on poles. And, uh, and instead, they put it on a cart just like the Philistines did. That's how the Philistines got it around, on a cart. 
And they're bringing this cart, and they're all excited. Hey, this ark's coming back. This is awesome. And they go over some, t- uh, some ground that's a little uneven, and the thing starts to shake a little. And Uzzah, with a good heart, good intentions, oh, the ark of God, he tries to steady it, and God kills him. Because God said, don't touch the ark, and God kept his word. David's kind of bothered. He's bothered because God killed Uzzah. But God killed Uzzah because Uzzah didn't do what was right. Now think about this. They were doing the right thing, weren't they? They were bringing the ark from uh, Philistine territory back home, but they were not careful in doing what God wanted the way that God wanted it done. To me, this is, there is, there's, this is a great passage of Scripture that applies to things today. You know, there's people out there, there's churches out there, and I'm not trying to down any church, but they will bring the world's music in. They'll bring the drum set, and they'll have the smoke, and they'll, uh, they'll, they'll be playing just a, and they'll bring the world's music in to try to reach people with the gospel. What are they doing? To bring reaching people with the gospel is a good thing. We need to do that. But we don't do right in the wrong way. We need to do right the right way. And we think about this. You can tell somebody uh, 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 they, they need to do something. This is, by the way, sometimes can be a problem in, a, in, our, in our lives. Uh, you see something or you have to deal with somebody. You have to deal with a kid, for instance, in your home or, or somebody in the church. And, and you say, hey, uh, we have a problem here, right? And um, I was telling this to somebody. I can't remember who it was. I said, you know, if somebody came into my office and they said to me, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what we're going to do as a church. This is what we need to do. Immediately, I think, how can this be of God? They might have the greatest idea we've ever had. But you see, what do you see? You see their wrath, the wrath of man, work if not the righteousness of God. They might have a great idea, but that idea is going to be dismissed. Why? Because they're trying to do the right thing in the wrong way. And in our confrontation with one another, I have found that this can be an issue, right? We might have a legitimate concern, but we go at it. If we go at it in the flesh, we're doing it the wrong way. And this principle applies in many aspects. It applies in the areas of music. It applies in the areas of, 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 um, of entertainment. There's nothing wrong. Uh, there's nothing wrong with taking some time uh, to kind of, decompress. A lot of emphasis on that now, decompress. If more of your time is decompressing than compressing, uh, things are out of balance, right? Uh, But sometimes to decompress, we might watch something that might have a few words in it or might take the name of the Lord in vain in it. What are we doing? We're trying to do the right thing, but we embrace the wrong way. We have to be careful in our obedience. Ruth could have said, hey, I'm going to go there. Hey, Boaz, yeah. Oh, I don't care what people think. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't ma- I'm going to stay here long. It doesn't matter what people think. We're doing this thing. The, the Bible says that I'm supposed to be here, and I'm supposed to tell you, hey, will you think about marrying me? No, they're careful to protect both their reputations. They're careful to do the right thing in the right way. And we need to make sure that what we do and how we do it 
are biblical. By the way, let me just throw this in too. Why we do it ought to be biblical as, as well. You know, you can give money to the church to be seen of men. We would say, wow, Talbot just dropped in five grand. Wow, he's awesome, right? You say, well, I wanted everyone to see me. No, he didn't. I'm just making this up. His wife's over there going, what? No. Um, you know, the reality is what I do, how I do it, and why I do it all need to be biblical. And I tell you, there's a philosophy out there. The end justifies the means, and it doesn't. Uh, here's a phrase I've thrown out, haven't thrown out in a while. Do we win the lost at any cost? No. When I, the chief end of man is to glorify God. When I glorify God, the lost will be saved, and that will glorify God. But the method we use to reach people with the gospel needs to be biblical. And I tell you, we could go on, but, but this is what's happening in the society in which we're living in. Well, it makes me feel so good. That's why I listen to it. <laughs> it does, you know, we're, we're looking at the end, and we, don't, and we have to recognize that the means uh, doesn't justify, and we need to be careful. And so obedience requires carefulness. Number one, confidence. If I'm going to obey, I've got to know what God wants me to do. And I have to recognize that I'm not always going to know why, but I have to trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. God will keep his word. Number two, obedience requires commitment. If you have a hard time obeying God, it's probably because you love yourself way more than you admit it. If I'm committed to God and I love God and I want to please God, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. And number three, obedience requires carefulness. We have to recognize that in our obeying the Lord, we want to make sure that we stay consistent, not just in what we do, but in how we do it, and really in why we do it as well. Lord, thank you for Ruth. Thank you for her obedience. Thank you for her commitment to you. Thank you, Lord, for the example that we have. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be obedient to you. And Lord, it's easy sometimes for us to, uh, to, to just take light of things that, Lord, you want us to do. I ask that you would help us to be confident, to get in the word of God, to walk with you, to know what you want. Lord, help us to love you more than we love ourselves. And Lord, as we seek to obey you, would what we do and why and how we do it please you as well. Lord, work in our invitation tonight. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.